0: We've been told to live like Jesus, but how we learned to truly do that? The Bible's full of nuance and truth that can be lost in translation if read without context, and we want to help you navigate it. This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. And I'm your host, Gianna Hearn, who reflects Jesus the best. Just kidding. Uh, but it's wow. true, right, guys? It's true. Out of the three of us, I mean...
1: I I thought maybe it was true until that utter just display of a yeah, lack of humility. Yeah, it didn't sound didn't sound like something Jesus. Look, we're supposed
0: saying. to be speaking truth, and I I can't help myself. That was no, I'm just shocking. joking. I have tons of issues, guys. Um, <laughs> but yes, that's what we're trying to do here: is help everyone, including ourselves, reflect Jesus and understand the scriptures better. So, hopefully, we will continue to do that today as we look at. Uh Mark chapter Six, verses six through thirteen, but before we get there, guys, look, yes, Reggie and I have had a rough morning good I, I was, was I was wondering what the world. I was
1: wondering all right, share away,
0: okay, I look, so look forward
1: to your arguments,
0: which are really small and minute, but they're hilarious. <laughs> so today we're rushing home so that I could do the podcast from the gym. We get to the stop sign in front of our house and there's a car there stopped at the stop sign. And we have an electric car that will break itself when it sees another vehicle in front of it. And it will stop. And Reggie likes to test this a lot instead of just braking. Me He's too. like, we need the regenerative braking. We need it. No, we don't. But besides the point, so he allows the car to break on its own and it's like an eyelash away from this other car. And I'm like, Reggie, Reggie, are you going to stop? He was like, just smiling away. And then it finally stops, but it is so close to this car. And I was like, that is so rude. He said, rude? Why is that the word that you describe that as? Like, what is rude about that? (laughs) And I said, well, because the person in front in that car, is probably like, what's going on? Am I going to get hit? That's like, I just feel like that gives them an angst. That's unnecessary. Why do we need to do that? And he's like, that's a cultural thing. It's not that rude. Remember when we're driving in Africa and, you know, people do whatever they want. And I'm like, this is not a cultural thing right now. We're in America where you give people space so you don't hit them. So my question to you guys, do you think I'm overreacting? Do you think that's rude to do that to somebody?
1: Well, let let me say this. Let Let's first play a game of fill in the blank. Jason, Gianna said that is so rude. How would you fill in the blank? That is so blank. Um
2: to to speed up to a car and let the brakes kick over, that's yes. so rude. I um uh I don't
1: know. What
0: I have several words for Fun? that. Fun? Fun?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so so my choices would be obnoxious thank you or (laughs) fate tempting
0: or inconsiderate
1: (laughs) that you're just why okay here's my question why are you putting your your like life in the hands of basically elon musk hoping (laughs) that those breaks kick on but what if they don't
0: to yeah. be fair, they always do. And that's not the point. The point for Until me is- Until
1: they don't. Well,
0: I'm like, if this was a driving test, you would have failed. Like, oh, no. they would, you would have failed. Maybe not failed, but you would have been docked some points here. So then the argument continues. And he says, so Gianna, what is an acceptable amount of inches to leave between vehicles when braking? He's very specific. He always wants details. And then I said- What's an acceptable amount of inches to park away from another vehicle? Because he gets really mad when people park close to us. And I'm like, so is this not the same thing? He's like, oh, I don't know. But how many inches? And I'm like. 72.
1: 72. 72. Is that inches. what it is? 72 inches. Is that the law? I know. I don't know what the law is, but I <laughs> oh. think that's the acceptable like six feet. Like, I get mad if somebody, like, is going to pull up that close on me at a stop sign, like, because that can be be. terrifying if you look in your rearview mirror and you're like, oh, they're going to hit me.
0: Thank you. That's what I'm saying. I said, I understand that you feel comfortable and safe, but should we not think of the others? Like, my sister has been hit at at a stop sign and had to get back surgery from it when she was 16 years old. And so I'm like... If she had someone run up on her like that, she'd be mortified, like so anxious. I'm like, what if it's an old person? We don't know. But either way, there's just no reason.
1: Yeah. Let me give context here, though, to the audience. Uh, Gianna and Reggie love to argue. We do. Uh, This this is a couple that has had arguments over how you pronounce sourdough. Um, whether, uh, when you, you're the recent one we were just talking about is, uh, fixing the string in your hoodie sweatshirt. And, uh, you, you had an argument about that. So your guys' arguments are hilarious and frequent, yes. um, and I look forward to them and you usually air most of them on social media. So that's, always no, we fun. Yeah. yeah,
0: most of the time, because arrogantly, I know that I'm right about every argument. And I want Reggie to see how wrong he is. That's why I brought it up today. Because I'm like, Reggie, I know Michael's going to be on my side. And I knew Jason was probably going to say some randomness. So. No, I,
2: I'm with Reggie with this. Do you, I, exactly, but,
0: randomness. Well,
2: <laughs> but but I, I'll say, like, you're right. When, I remember I was we were caravanning me and my friends to some, I don't know, some party or something like that. And my buddy, <laughs> my buddy crept up right close to my car behind me. So I threw it in reverse and I just closed the gap and gave him a tap and let him know, like, you, you need to back off. No. And then I could see he was mad by looking in the rear view. I was like, oh, no, he's mad. So, <laughs> so when the light turned green, I floored it to get away. But I had it in reverse still. So I floored it backwards into him even harder.
0: <laughs> oh, my word. So, so,
2: so I, I, I know, like, you probably want some space, you know, in case you're going to get beat up. Because <laughs> people don't play, you know, some, some people get angry.
0: Yes. Especially where we live in the seven, seven, five. No. Anyway. So that was just <laughs> our, our random argument of today. I'm sure there'll be like five more. And, right. but I actually was starting to get irritated about this one. This one was actually <laughs> going to potentially turn into a real argument because I'm like, just be considerate of other people. Okay. Um, well, but Reggie is mostly considerate, especially of me. He is pretty considerate. So I have to be grateful. Um, Anyway, just, just
1: tell him that the baby doesn't like it, and then argument's over.
0: Uh, yeah. What's funny is I told him, you know, I got, I'm going to share an argument today, and he's like, which one? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, Clarify. Yeah, there's
1: a few. All right. Well, let me tell you guys. I, I want to recommend an uh, an article before we jump into Mark today. Yeah. Um, a week or two ago on ChristianityToday.com, dot com, there was an article called "Apocalypse Now." How the Left and Right Get Danger Wrong, and the article's by Michael Ware. And he really goes into how uh, on both sides of the political spectrum, and his uh, assumption there is that right now in evangelical Christianity, what we mostly see is a reflection of the political ideology of the left and right, uh, kind of as a split in the church, which I think is an epic fail on the part of those claiming Christ, but that is kind of the state of reality. But he says, the, uh, the we've fallen into apocalyptic thinking. Everything is to the extreme. It's the end of the world. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. It's, you know, the sky is falling, um, all of that sort of stuff. And... Uh, um, so he says the the right version of this apocalyptic thinking is the ever encroaching immorality of others. The culture is going to heck. Everything is, um, you know, it's it's socialism. It's Marxism. It's yeah. they're going to destroy our theology, country. Yeah, totally. Yeah, all of that. It, everything is the worst. Everything is the end of life as we know it. Um And on and on. It's the immorality of others. We're at risk of losing our country. We're going to lose it beyond recognition and never get it back. The characters and values of others are completely depraved. Uh, The future has to be changed or it's all going to be lost. Um, And then those who stand up to these supposed forces of evil become martyrs to be praised and held up. and and celebrated, and so uh, everything is an ultimate battle against evil, and and so then standing up to it, you are this sort of hero who stands up against you know just the the moral evil. And then he says on the um, on the left, you ha- whereas the right tends to move from the cultural to political. Left starts with political and moves to the cultural. Um, it begins with actions that people take to make moral judgments you said this you did this you didn't recycle you didn't care about the environment you um, you know said microaggressions and everything is like you're the new Nazis you're hitlerish you're evil and and so it really paints those who think differently than us in yep. in the worst possible light and it 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 makes it so that it becomes uh, virtually impossible to have any sort of conversation, any sort of agreement moving uh, forward in any way. And, you know, I think it's an important article. I think it's a, a good analysis of uh, critique of both the right and the left. And, and I think there's a reality that apocalyptic hysteria on both sides is a fundamental, uh, Rejection of the resurrection worldview. It's you know, it's like, oh, the world is coming to an end and it's all, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. That's not the resurrection worldview. And and it, as I said, it paints those who think differently as immoral and evil and makes it impossible to get along with each other. So I think it's a great article worth reading. It's great. Um, Any thoughts on that? I know you guys have kind of glanced at the article before we jump into Mark. Anybody have any thoughts they want to add?
2: I would just say on the one hand, it feels like the, the world is uh, all of, all of the, any kind of unseen reality is sucked out of the world. And, uh, and it, it, the fate lies in the hands of the people the world uh, belongs to uh, people's ability and ingenuity and on the other hand the world is just completely populated by boogeymen <laughs> it's like everywhere you turn uh, you know there's there's some uh, sort of force that we need to batten down the hatch and fight against and it seem both seem to undermine the the posture of of faith and um yeah, so I, I mean, I know these these issues need to be dealt with, but this anxiety lives, and I feel like is alive and well in, in our churches, um, and it needs to be identified and um, discussed and moved through. So I, I i like I like the thoughts.
1: Amen.
0: Yeah, I don't have much to add. I think he explained a lot of it, but um, I mean, there's tons of thoughts on this topic. I just don't think you could explain all of them right here. Could be its own extra episode. Uh, but with all that said, I think, yeah, I felt like I was one of those people, this apocalyptic thinking um, until recently as in the last three years, probably um, really making my faith the center of all belief and banners of my life. And I, I've seen how that changes things. So I'm hoping, hopefully, we can have that discussion within our communities and go more towards that way. But it's very enlightening, this article. If you have a chance to go read it, check it out, um, because it brings us some great points on both sides.
1: Nice. And as political writer Jonah Goldberg uh, tweeted recently, if hypocrisy were helium, everyone would have a funny voice and some people would just float away.
0: <laughs> oh, I got to tell Reggie that. anyways um michael thank you great article check it out guys uh we're moving on in mark now we're continuing through the book and we are in chapter six verses six through 13 is our focus today michael yes can you read it for us
1: i can um all right we're gonna we're gonna start in 6b uh, nice. And it says, I, I will be reading, I'm not fancy like Rusty, so I will be reading the NIV,
2: oh, lest we that.
1: never forget that his name is Rusty now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm then, glad you're going to use the, the, the uh, Bible. The NIV, <laughs> the thank the you. The Bible, yes. Yeah. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits these were his instructions take nothing except for the journey uh, sorry take nothing for the journey except a staff no bread no bag no money in your belts wear sandals but not an extra shirt whenever you enter a house stay there until you leave that town and if you will and if any uh, w- I'm having trouble reading today. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove and many demons and anointed uh, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Mark 6, B through 13. There you go. Nice.
0: So, we're in our first section, reading glasses on. What are we seeing here, guys?
1: Well, the first thing that jumps out at me here um, is we have, da-da-da-da, another Markin sandwich, right? Now... Yeah. <laughs> What were well, you going to say, Jason?: I was
2: going to say, like it'd be amazing if, like to have a like a restaurant and have a market <laughs> sandwich be one of the one of the uh, items on the menu. And
1: it, yeah, very before, few people would get that
2: reference though, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, all the meaning would be-, would be in the middle. Uh, it, it would some, be confusing.
0: Oh my gosh! All the meaning yeah. would be in the middle. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Now we could have fun here with the audience and say, "Okay, read those verses again and find the mark and sandwich." And people would be very confused because you won't <laughs> find it there. This is Funny actually Martin
2: sandwich.
1: This is actually the top bun of the mark and sandwich. We would have to continue reading on through uh, reading on into chapter six. To find the sandwich uh, itself and the bottom bun, the middle of the sandwich would be. I know you love this uh, this imagery, Jason. So I'm going to just push it to the yeah. very oh, no. nth degree. the The middle of the sandwich here is the next uh, pericope or section that we find, and that's all about that starts in verse fourteen goes kind of through verse 29, and it retells the death of John the Baptist. And it's not until verse 30 that the uh, apostles return from this mission. So Mark has once again chosen to split up a story with something in the middle that somehow is going to relate or inform us about that story, so that's that's one thing I would notice as I was reading uh, through these passages. A- and again, if I just read one section a day, I might miss that, right? And so there's there's um, benefit to reading through a whole book and then going back and reading in smaller sections, but with an eye on uh, what comes before and after, so I can start to make some of these connections. So that's the first thing. I would want to make note of is what is the significance of this, uh, sandwich here that Mark has, has, uh, crafted. (laughs) And we'll come back to that in a, in a little bit. Um, anything else you guys see that jumps out at you here?
2: Um, that's good. I I think, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a number of number of questions. Uh, but I think, Right away, I'm wondering, what is the connection um, of, and I, I realize this starts to sound like really getting atomistic and kind of splitting verses, but uh, 6b, uh, verse 6, the second half of verse 6, what is its relationship to verses 1 through 6a, and then, of course, 7 through 13, like, it uh, to which... Uh, Uh, group of verses does this be have a a stronger connection um that is to say is this uh sending out two by two a result of a rejection at 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 his hometown um Mm. or is it a um is it a planned sort of thing uh that that really just starts a uh, it's it, that is to say, it's it's not st- strictly related to what we read in the first six verses, which you will remember, or uh, for those who don't, was uh, Jesus uh, 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 people being offended by Jesus's authority uh, in his hometown. Um. So so that's 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 I don't know that there's an answer to that, but I, I wonder about that. Um, yeah, that's good. The intentionality of this mission
1: uh, here. That's good. Gianni, you got anything that jumps out at you?
0: Um, you know, I think just maybe like a random little twinge in my brain. I was like, Oh, when he says whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. I'm like, what's the significance of staying at one house when you're there? Is there a significance about that? And then also if there's a place that won't welcome you, like to leave. Um and I'm wondering, similar to what Jason's saying, if his hometown isn't welcoming his authority or his teaching and he's moving on now, we're moving on to the next town. So just wondering if there's any connection, like he's saying, between this section um, versus, uh, well, versus the verses one through six A. Right. Um, So, and then just obviously the ending of this section uh, in verse twelve, then, or excuse me, they went out and preached that people should repent, and then we we know what John the Baptist is all about, obviously, and that's going to be in the middle of the sandwich here. So, it's just uh, interesting to see it starting to lead towards whatever that middle part is is about.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right. great. You. you have you have these bridges forward and backwards, mm-hmm. Jason. Yeah. You mentioned that Jesus went around teaching from village to village. How does that bridge from the previous section, a prophet is without honor to this section. Then down towards the end, they went and preached people should repent. That kind of looks ahead to uh, John the Baptist. Does uh, the scene of John the Baptist getting killed, is that connected to prophets being without honor from uh, before this section? How does How does that tie in? And, and I th- you know I think as well you have the the invasion continues as they are driving out demons and anointing sick people with oil this this uh, indicates the continued cosmic battle between the dark powers of the present age and the inbreaking of the new creation uh, but one thing that really jumps out at me here and we're gonna have a discussion about this today is, you know when I was a young Christian, I would often read a passage like this, and it was presented to me, or I would understand it like almost like well this is this is basically an evangelism campaign. this is you know and and so we would have um evangelism cards, and we were going to go out and meet as many people and invite them to church, which i'm I'm not <laughs> uh criticizing what's an evangelism at, at all,
2: card? But, Is that like a a trading card?
0: I've never heard of that. Really? Is that
1: (laughs) confusing everybody? Like, you know, you would have like an invitation card to your church. I I see.
2: I see. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And so you would, you would, you know, I mean, I remember setting crazy goals for myself. Like, I'm going to go try to um, meet a hundred people today or share my faith with a hundred people. And, um, it became very numbers oriented, you know, and, oh, they didn't listen. So I'll just shake the dust off my feet and move on (laughs) and and kind of of contemporized, uh, this passage Mm -hmm. to what I was doing and made it kind of, you know, fit. The, the modern <laughs> context and then use it as, as also justification for that. Um, and so that, that's one of the discussions that comes to my mind as I read this passage. Is, is that is it appropriate? A template. Yeah. yeah is, is this, this a, a template? Is, yeah. is this what is going on here? Can uh, uh, again, not at all taking an assault, trying to say, Oh, we shouldn't be inviting people to church or we shouldn't be partaking in evangelism. But it, is their activity that directly relatable or do we need to do some cultural work here? Do we need to understand some context of what is actually going on here? What is Jesus telling them? What do they think they're doing so that we can then properly apply this in our contemporary situation?
0: Right.
2: Um, Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to ask that, um, You know, when we're talking about like all scriptures God breathed and is useful for, dot, 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 fill in the blank. That's something as an early Christian, I always think like, oh, okay, so scripture is useful for training in all righteousness. Okay, so how do I apply this? So, what you're asking is, what in the passage in March 6 that we're looking at right now, what is, is it actually applicable? So, Mm -hmm. when I go back to like, you know, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for, do I look at a scripture? or a section or a passage like this and say, it's useful for what? How do I put it in those categories? Does that make sense?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'll, I'll, I'll refer back to the first episode of this season when we uh, talked about a template for this concept and understanding passages in their cultural context, First uh, Corinthians 6 where Paul gives a a negative report of uh, taking believers to court. And if we just immediately move it into an application of the modern, it's, well, I shouldn't sue or take another brother to court. But that's not really what Paul is saying. He's talking about the unjust and inequitable systems of Roman court and subjecting other believers to that, there might be a situation that it is appropriate. You know, I I, I thought of this the other day. I could see a situation where a church might say, well, we have a member who is guilty of a child molestation, something horrible like that in the fellowship, but we shouldn't you know, bring the authorities in or take them to court because first Corinthians six. well, that would be a horrible misapplication of that passage and what Paul is saying. and we would get there in good faith, trying to apply the scriptures, but because we didn't first do the work of understanding what was going on in the context, what is actually being called for there, then we can do the work of how to apply it. Uh, we can get into real trouble if we just take it, assume what it means, and then apply it and say, "Oh no, you can't, shouldn't, shouldn't get involved in courts at all." And that's that's not what is going on in First Corinthians six. So I I think that's what we're saying here is what is going on in this passage. So let's figure that out before we start applying it, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. And you know, I I think there's um. There's, there's a a unique moment here in, in that that Mark is trying to describe, which you know, and I I mean I can hear the the voices in my head saying, so are you saying that this is just a description of something? It has no relevance, and that's certainly not the case. Um, right? You know that that was the major uh, one of the. F- Uh, uh, failures of historical criticism that is like uh, really paying attention to the history of the Bible. Um, That way of reading the Bible in the church led to kind of painting the church into a corner where it's like, well, that was about Israel. That was about the disciples. It's not about us. And so he kind of cuts the the tie uh, between the contemporary church and the scriptures and so of course there's there's more work in prayer and insight but i think um, mark is telling about a unique moment that should le- this moment this what's happening this sort of unveiling of god's will in jesus christ the sending the two out and you know, it's two by two i mean I, I my mind is even drawn to passages like revelation 11 where um, two witnesses come into town and they there there's 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 some there's some historical things happening in the text, uh, that, that points to the, it heightens the moment. Um, and so that awareness of this unique moment should lead us to creative, whatever, creative evangelism, a, a more robust understanding of the, the, the mission God has for the church, all of that. Um, so I think, I think, what we're trying to say—correct me if I'm wrong—is is not that this these passages have no relevance, but that um, it, it's the work of the the community to to prayerfully understand the text and then take action based on what the, those texts are saying, not to just leave it as some tale about what what Jesus did once upon a time.
0: But wouldn't um, that be what we're talking about in scriptures that talk about? Um, renewing your mind daily looking at scriptures and renewing your thoughts on them um, not as just oh yeah one yeah. way or the other like and like what I already said about the second Timothy scripture, you know, is it useful for teaching? Like, is this, is this a teachable moment here? Is this a rebuking moment? I see. I uh, see. A correcting yeah. moment. Um, how does this equip me for every good work? You know, and I don't know if that's a wrong way of looking at it and your guys's opinion. Um, and obviously we do that and take a selfie. What do we take from this? We'll probably get to that moment, but, um,
1: yeah, yeah. I, let, let let me s- jump in here and say I, I I go back again to our our first episode where we uh, of this season, and I think in that episode I gave the analogy of writing a note to my sons. Oh yeah, know, wear a coat when you go outside. Um, that can be misapplied in the wrong context, and yeah. so it's not that you read the note just for entertainment. Oh, solely okay. to figure out what I told my sons. That's one error on the extreme that Jason is talking about here, where it's it's so culturally bound that it really has totally. no relevance yeah, for us. Just a, but yeah. the other I- extreme error would be, well, it says put on a coat, so i got to put on a coat. That's not, I don't think, what Scriptures do. Scriptures lead us towards wisdom, the mm-hmm. wisdom of God and application. And so the 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 principle that we take away from that is dress appropriately for the weather I have to figure that out so if mark here is describing the inbreaking of the kingdom and what it looked Near like it in this particular moment we may have to do some work and say okay what would it look like in our situation for the kingdom to continue breaking in or is Mark's point here that we should be um, you know, taking no bread no bag tomb. no money and yeah, right. put on sandals and you know go from town to town is is that the way to be obedient to yeah. the scriptures here
2: mm-hmm. yeah and right and here here's an example of 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 why I love what you said about the inbreaking of the kingdom because that's really for me the 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 some of the major takeaway is that the kingdom is uh, kingdom of God is is inbreaking like i i I was thinking this morning when I was reading this about, you know, the Matthew's version of this little story uh, or, or, or a parallel uh, idea in Matthew is the, in, in chapter four, there's this couple of lines, chapter four, verses 23 through 25, where it's a statement. Jesus went from town to town preaching and teaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. And he's healing. And that those two lines serve as a, an introduction to several chapters coming up. It's the teaching ends up being the Sermon on the Mount. And then right after the Sermon on the Mount, you're launched into two chapters about healing as an exorcisms. And then after that in chapter 10, and at the end of chapter nine, Jesus says, uh, of course, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, your turn. He's like, you've seen, you've heard what I said. You've seen what I've done, your turn. And there's this sort of like, lesson in what it means to be jesus's disciple to watch to pay attention and even this whole like um, sh- shaking off dust uh, some kind of enacted parable right it's 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 a way of saying like i don't want your dust on me because judgment is coming and i don't want any association with you even that is such a a a, a a unique thing to do, like to do that today <laughs> would just be weird and, um, and, uh, probably insulting. I'm sure it would be insulting for them, but, but it misses the larger discussion in Mark, which is about like, these men are now doing what Jesus did, which is to sift and gather, right. To, to bring a message that will either bring about judgment or openness. Now, there's some you can do something with that in 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 the church. Like that's quite an idea. Um, anyways, yeah.
1: So let's um, let's continue that and jump into the next section, the time machine. Let's talk about what's going on in this passage, and I'll throw this question out to you, Jason. If you can answer it briefly here. What did the disciples think they were doing when Jesus sent them out? What what in their mind is is happening here?
2: Uh, well, they knew something. What's what's unique unique to me about this little story is that I didn't catch this until this morning. But they, Jesus gives them power. He gives them instructions about where to stay, and you know, just to be provided for, to trust God's provision to, you know, stay where they're welcome. But he never tells them, like, he doesn't say, no, go preach repentance, go heal the sick. He just gives them power and tells them about their lodging and their travel provisions. Um, so they, they knew to go out and do the preaching and healing. Like, they didn't need Jesus saying, I want you to go do this and go do that. So w- whatever they were doing, they knew that they were carrying out that same mission that Jesus Himself was carrying out, which they they had to at least understand something that this was significant. Um, but then we're back to we're not to chapter eight yet. So in chapter eight they realize more than they do now. So uh, I they knew they knew something. I mean they they knew that they were just doing what their Lord did or what their Rabbi was doing. Um,
1: so I I don't know beyond, beyond that what they think they were doing. Yeah, yeah. No, I I love that. I think at this point they think they're doing what their what Jesus, their Rabbi, their teacher is doing. Um, he's announcing the inbreaking of the kingdom, and I'm sure they're quite excited at this point. And as we read on in the text, we'll find out that they don't really still have a a, a full clue as to right. what that means. And what exactly that data. is.
2: Right, right.
1: Um, what I think is interesting, and I'll, I'll throw this question to you, Gian, and see if we can stump you on this one. I'm sure. Is, <laughs> how no does, wh- what is Mark communicating through this connection, through his sandwich, with this the next story that's coming up, the, the end of John the Baptist's life, who is sort of the, quintessential prophet at the time what, why is mark connecting these if mark is is crafting this f- as a message to the church a challenge for the church of his day how does that change the dynamic of the story a little bit or the purpose for which he's telling it
0: Hmm. I feel like I'm not getting it. (laughs) That was a really
1: long question, too, right?
0: To be honest, I'm trying to figure it out. I feel like I have nothing.
1: (laughs) Okay, let's see if we can walk you through this. Okay, this will be fun. So last week, we did the Mm -hmm. first six verses, right? Yeah. And what was kind of the key point that Jesus made in those verses about a prophet?
0: Got to look back, got to look back. (laughs) <laughs> that a prophet um, would be, yeah, uh sorry, I'm looking back. I have the worst memory to be honest if I'm not looking at the scriptures. um well, obviously the they would have no honor except in you know from their hometown, so right, a prophet and would be without wait, honor, yeah, especially with the people that were familiar with him.
1: Yes, your own people. Are, yeah. are not going to, you know, necessarily take this well. Then we jump into this passage. It says he was teaching from village to village, mm-hmm. right? And now he's sending them out to do what he does, which is typical rabbi student behavior. So now they're gonna, they're gonna. Okay, it's their turn. They're gonna go do it, and then Mark breaks in and says, "Let me tell you, by the way, about what happened to John. John." was out, you know, proclaiming his message, and he had his head cut off. And now the disciples come back (laughs) from their mission. So if we follow through, a prophet is without honor, they're going to go proclaim this prophetic message. The kingdom of God is coming, as has been long promised. And John, the prophet, was put to death. And now they come back. What's the message for the church?
0: Uh, that some people are not going to um, receive what we're going to preach, and it it may come with a life toll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's extreme. So I'm like, is this that blatant? I'm. I feel like I'm missing something.
1: <laughs> no, no, because what is the ultimate? we're working towards this, but the ultimate theme of Mark is understanding the way of the cross, Mm -hmm. right? And that the church had, um, and we as as the modern church can reject that message. We can number ourselves among Jesus followers, but reject the way of the cross. And I think Mark is really laying it out here and making it clear, hey, you might be out going around preaching the word and you know this and that, doing exciting things, but don't forget this is gonna. The truth of this is gonna entail the way of the cross. That that yeah. the sacrifice part is not you going out. It's not them going from town to town. That's not. Yeah. That's not the the laying down your life part. The laying down your life part is you will very likely be rejected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will be without honor. You will be looked at with low status. You will possibly give up um, the a way of life that is comfortable. Yeah. And I think Mark is challenging a church who thought they could follow Jesus without doing any of that. Oh, I'll still maintain a good reputation. I'll still maintain yeah, a comfortable way yeah, of living. Right. Right. And it, again, it goes back to the parable of the sower. Right. They the, the word was choked out. By the desires for wealth and comfortable wow. living and that kind of yeah. stuff.
2: Yeah. Do you know this makes me think of you know uh, the, the many discussions we have as Christians about ke- keeping the church relevant um, and up to speed and presentable and desirable to the onlooking, um, you know, neighborhoods and whatever communities we live in, and. And of course, I'm all for that, like I, because I feel like the church is a jewel in wherever sh- she is. Uh, but but at the same time, what what's interesting is this is kind of just dawning on me now. But these uh, Jesus is uh, assuming that you know if they receive you and are hospitable to you, it's because they want to hear what you have to say. It's not because they think you're awesome. Um, and if, if they don't want to hear what you have to say, they're not going to say to you, uh, uh, well, we think you're cool. We just don't want to hear what you have to say. They're going to say, no, what you have to say and who you are are the same thing. And yes. I think, I think that the, the church really wants to be liked and thought of as, as great, even if people disagree with us, well, at least they're nice people, but this is none of that. It really is a kind of either, or um that uh you know the disciples if they don't want to hear the message they're going to say well okay well then then you're not going to like us very much either <laughs> you know because we stand by this this way of life and so it it really um adds a, a dimension to like well okay we want to be relevant but uh at the end of the day how relevant can we be given the the message of the cross as our <laughs> as our main a uh, word of encouragement to the world, if it's it's the message across, can we at the end of the day be be really liked? <laughs> you know, there's you're either going to be on board with it or not, but I don't think you're going to uh, hate the message, but but love us because that's what we think. I don't know. Uh, I'm working this out as we go,
0: but yeah, that's interesting to me because I feel like you know if we're supposed to be the representation of love, and wouldn't you think if we are that, then people would like us? But uh but right, sure. right, 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 right. It's, it's kinda of weird to me, but then I also think of um John fifteen, eighteen, like if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. Exactly. So I'm like, so we should be a great representation of love, but people may also hate us and potentially want to kill us for right. the truth. Jesus.
2: Right. right. Jesus was a representation of love, but when he told them the truth, they weren't like, "Well, we don't want to hear the truth, but you want to come over for dinner? We think you're awesome. You you got great kids or something like that." It was very much <laughs> what what you've what you've said was a challenge and so we can't embrace you because of what you stand for. And maybe there's something to that.
1: That's such an important element, and I think John talks about this in his letters, right? And it says People love darkness. Yeah. And we yeah. tend to read that, again, as just individual sin sort of thing. Oh, people love their own sin. That's not really what John is getting at there. That's When you hear darkness and things like that, that's, that's a reference yeah. to a world enslaved by the powers, the, mm-hmm. the powers and authorities. And so we have been trained and conformed and crafted and molded to – love the way of the powers. And so you see that in the early church when they come in saying, this is about light and love and acceptance and tearing down the uh, status levels and the divisions between us and the inequities. And we're going to write all that stuff in this new creation community. The world hates it. Now, some people go, yes, I want to be part of that, and they embrace it, but the powers hate it. And people that love the powers and their positions that they've gotten of of power and advantage and privilege from the powers, um, they will reject that. And so I get it, Gianna, you're right. You know, like, hey, if we're just loving people, why would anybody have a problem with that? Because they've been trained and enslaved by the powers and authorities to actually, uh, you know, as uh, Isaiah is at chapter five, to, to call good evil and evil good, um, because we don't even recognize what is good anymore. It sounds political. It sounds dangerous. It sounds, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, but the world rejects love. And so yeah, I, I think what you said there is is spot on. And well,
2: r- right. Yeah, and and you know, you've heard the you know, you've heard the old uh analogy like, you know, whatever. A preacher goes out and surveys his uh his community and asks what was Jesus' essential message and everyone says it was love. And then the preacher says, "Well, but it's not." And you know, and he's right. Like Jesus' message was not love. It wasn't, you know, like and Jesus went about proclaiming love. Um, of course, the love of God was both being offered and um, uh, d- demanded, right? Um, from people. But at the same time, the message, the central message was the kingdom of God. And so the it, it's a tearing down of old power structures and a challenge to the authorities um, that uh, that love uh, exists within. Uh, and so uh, the idea that the church just preaches friendliness, or um, uh, being being pleasant it doesn't quite describe it. Uh, having said that, I don't mean to say that we're just this truth community and like we just have you know truth, and so we we're, we we shouldn't be loving or pleasant. But but at the end of the day, our message isn't be a nice person.
1: Um, yes,
0: but then doesn't that lead to a question like, oh, everyone hates me? I must be yeah. doing the right. Thing. Uh, well, that's why. Like, I'm, that's there, why I'm hedging. A line there at right. some point, right? Like, For sure. Yeah. Because there's extremist groups that obviously put out a lot of things, and people are like, "Wow, scared of that group because it can <laughs> yeah. be so extreme and unloving." But they might think, you know, we're doing we're doing God's will because we're hated. So how yeah. do you take scriptures?
1: We'll write like that? you off if you don't agree with so us. so like, good, yeah. and that's going to lead into our our next discussion because you're you're absolutely right, Gianna. We cannot define ourselves or our identity based on the reactions of other people. That's too difficult to discern, okay, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. And, and and you bring up such a good point because I've seen people do that, and it's like, oh, I was getting persecuted. I'm on the mm-hmm. right track, it's like, no, you were just being a jerk. Yeah, This is what you are doing. That, that's, that's not necessarily means you were being like Christ. And so that leads us into the take a selfie part here. Let's go there. And, and let me start with this question. And, and then we'll come around to, I think, exactly what we're talking about here. Do passages like this one here in Mark serve as a model for us today for modern evangelism? Is this a template for modern evangelism? And maybe even more specifically to kind of challenge that thinking as we begin, why would we automatically jump to this as a template for evangelism, but then not embrace the idea of driving out demons and anointing the sick and healing them?
0: hmm Yeah. I'm leaving so, this to Jason <laughs> because he he's he's right. an evangelist, not I. Jason, <laughs> I is start. is this a template? Uh,
2: it's not being offered as one. Could you use it as one? Uh, sure. If you have a if you have a, a great understanding of the gospel and you you understand that the gospel is not uh, evangelism is not only invitations to your church services. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't invite people to your church services, but I think a, 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 a biblical, biblically informed understanding of the gospel. And it's, it's, um, as an announcement of the inbreaking of God's reign, uh, sure. Go out two by two and, and tell people and help them and serve them and heal if you're able. And if you dare try to drive out a demon, like (laughs) go for it. But, so I, I don't think you err or you you totally misunderstands God God's heart if you go out two by two and do this. Yep. Um. Go ahead. But but that's not what's really being set forth here. Um. Uh, um. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest that a a a great reading of this is to just go out two by two. Um. Uh. So no no uh because you could easily do that and miss miss the moment that marks telling you about which is again yeah. it, in the service of his dominant theme which is insiders and outsiders right or uh who sees and who's blind um which is isaiah's uh, as said, yeah. it's isaiah's thing but yeah so that that's this is this is a part of all of that so deal with that first then decide if you want to try some of this
0: <laughs> i guess so that's how i'd little, say it if this is not an exact model core evangelism today if that's what you're saying Jason then what is this
1: yeah
2: well i okay yeah yeah i i, th- I think this is uh, again like there there is um cuz there's there's also some instances uh, uh of of Jesus sending out 70 uh, uh mm-hmm. right there's there's some intentionality behind these uh, missions and, and even some have suggested this isn't a, like this Jesus doesn't send the disciples out two by two uh non-stop. This is a temporary mission. They come, they come back. Mm-hmm. He gives them authority, they go out. He doesn't even tell them what to say or what to do. He just says, There's authority, stay wherever they welcome you. What should we do while we're there? Jesus doesn't tell them that. They just go do it. Uh, they get creative, they they learn from their master, they go out and they do, and they come back. Um so is this a lifelong like template? It doesn't even s- necessarily the case that it was for the disciples, the early 12 disciples. Um, and I think also this whole notion of the the, the 12 disciples, there, there's, I mean, in, in Mark's symbolic world, um, which is this the symbolic world shared by all of the, the New Testament writers, right? Like this is a reconstitution of Israel uh, bringing a, uh, the message of the finally, finally God's kingdom is in breaking. And so there's all of that taking place. Did you see that? Um, like, and if someone says, no, I didn't. I just used it as a template to win my neighborhood over. Like, well, what are you telling your neighborhood if you didn't see it? <laughs> like, if, you didn't, if you didn't see that this is what's going on here, then then what is it you, you are, are, are taking from this? It, because I don't think this is merely a matter of get people to come to your church. Well, that'd be a great thing, uh, because hopefully there they'll hear some of this. But um, yeah, that would be my thought. I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I think there are, there are two important elements and, and frameworks here that we want to have in place when approaching uh, this passage and passages like it, uh, and they are uh, identity and where are we in the story. Mm -hmm. and i'll I'll deal with those inversely first of all where are we in this story jason mentioned and we've talked about it throughout this episode the inbreaking of the kingdom uh the reconstituting of israel jesus is sending out all these symbolism uh symbolic elements to say that israel is being formed around him he is israel in the flesh in that sense uh but uh, more importantly, the, the kingdom is is breaking in. The mission must go out. It must be pronounced to Israel. And then there will be another phase. And that phase begins at Pentecost, if you want to put a really fine point on it. Um, and it, it starts to uh, look a little different. And so, uh, again, not to say that, oh, we shouldn't evangelize. That's not at all the point here. But this is a description of a specific time period in the story. What does that mean for us? I'll come back to that. Let me first deal with the other framework, which is identity. And I think identity is really important, is what is at the center of our identity? What what really forms or shapes our identity? For a lot of Christian churches, now, of course, we would all say Jesus. but what about Jesus? For a lot of Christian churches, the, the defining element, the center of our identity becomes conversion, growth, evangelism. It's conversionism. And that sort of becomes the most important element. It fuels everything else we do. We got to go make disciples. We got to, we got to grow. We, that's the metric of how is your church doing? Oh man, we've had this many baptisms. How did your year go? Oh, we had a bad year because we didn't have so many baptisms and this and that sort of thing. Those are, those are subtle clues that conversionism has become the center of our identity as a community. Where what I think the scriptures are calling us to is cruciformity. That's why the importance of Mark connecting this with John's story, with a prophet being without honor. This story is not so much about, hey, you should be out there two by two going town to town. That may be okay, but that may not be your part of the story. But what is your part of the story is cruciformity. Yeah. The cross yeah, you'll, be, you'll be
2: rejected and that's basically what
1: happens. You you will be rejected. You will be living a different form of life. Now go figure out what that looks like. For the disciples right then and there, it looked like going out without a bag and without money and proclaiming this message uh, during this time before Jesus' death. The towns needed to know so that they could join Jesus' movement here and understand what was going on. But it would take on a different shape uh, later as far as um, function, as far as what it went about. But it would be the same as far as being cross-shaped. And so if we start to think that our center of our identity, the center of gravity, is conversion and growth, then we'll look at this passage in a certain way um, and define it almost like we would in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, shallowly, oh, it just means don't take believers to court. Oh, this just means we got to go out and invite people into the community and try to grow. That's a, a great thing. But not if we lost sight of the center of gravity, well, which has to yeah, be the cross shape. Yep,
2: and, and I, I would add, and this will sound, and now I, I will sound like an old curmudgeon who just wants to cause a problem, but but e- I think it's important to, to deal with, uh, like even when we use language like evangelism or being evangelistic, like I, I think it's important to keep in mind that 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 word uh, is is connected to; it is the word for gospel right it's the it's right. it's the greek greek word for gospel um so it has to do with gospelism or go, right the good 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 newsism and if we ask, we, we, we search scripture and say, well, what exactly is the gospel? Well, it's an announcement of the reign of God, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, Isaiah chapter uh, 52, verse 7, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. I mean, over and over and over. Matthew, I already mentioned it, uh, chapter 4, verse 23. Like there's these, these moments where you get, it's really clear what's meant by the gospel, Uh, that the kingdom is breaking in. Well, what's that look like? The death, first of all, uh, and resurrection of the Lord. So to, to properly say we're evangelizing is to talk about that message. Okay, so when does evangelism technically happen? Well, it isn't happening when you're telling your your friend to come to church. That's an invitation to hopefully a more fuller explanation of the gospel, which would be evangelism. So evangelism is that moment when we're telling the story, not an invitation necessarily to telling that story. The reason I mention that is because we let ourselves off the hook too quickly. Say, well, we all got to be evangelistic. What we mean by that is get people to church. That's not a, a call for everyone to be evangelistic if we wanted to truly be evangelistic it would be to tell that story and so it's a it's a challenge to the whole notion of like um uh, just building a crowd or something like that um and so i yeah. i don't think i don't think you can just take these passages and, and and turn them into some scheme for growth uh without really knowing what it is you're you're supposed to what, what, you, what you mean by some of the things you're doing.
1: Um, yeah, and here's where I'm going really to so. challenge that, Jason, and I think you'll actually agree with me, is uh, to me it's not so much talk about the message of the kingdom breaking, and but be the message. Oh, and well, sure. Right, sure. right. And yeah, that's really absolutely. what the early church did. And when I say early church, I mean late 1st, 2nd, 3rd century. Totally, is yeah. Because cruciformity was at their center, taking the shape of the cross, the shape of Christ, um, the kingdom breaking in was for them the primary evangelism technique and tool they had was being the alternate community, being the new creation, and then that would just by natural implication lead to them sharing about it with people. They had so embraced this, yeah, an embodied message. Totally. yeah an a body yeah. message and I find it striking by the way that churches today spend a lot of time trying to tell the world how we're not that different from them and we're normal people and the early church spent most of their time yeah. trying to tell the church how they and were that, so peculiar and unique and, and that's different my and, point. Odd. and that's exactly and so, my point yep. right and if yep. conversionism becomes the center then you don't necessarily want to emphasize how odd you are you you because you got to grow. You got to talk. Right. That becomes the primary activity rather than, yeah. than being. And so um, there, there's a great book. I wish we had more time to talk about it on this episode, but uh, Alan Kreider wrote a book, or Kreider, sorry, Alan Kreider, I think it is, um, wrote a, a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And in there, Jason, I know you've read the book. He, he talks about um, the the early church wrote often. About topics like uh, patience, like embodying uh, trust in God, the shape of the cross, but what they did not ever write about. In the first three centuries, was what we would call evangelism. They didn't have evangelism plans. They didn't have what, techniques. What's the of, Robert
2: Robert Coleman or whatever the the master plan of evangelism? Yeah, the early yeah, church didn't that.
1: have a master yeah. plan. Um, yeah. They didn't view Jesus uh, going out and preaching this initial initial message of the inbreaking of the kingdom as a a master plan. Not that they didn't share their faith. Not that they weren't. "Quote unquote evangelistic," but they put their time and effort into being the alternate community,
2: yeah. Which
1: then just you know sort of exploded out in beautiful ways and drew people in. But he he lays out how the early church actually would view something like, "Well, we got to have a plan of how we're going to grow the church and how we're going to have more conversions," and that they would have viewed that as humanistic rank. Unfaithfulness yep, as yep, not yes. being patient, right. not trusting in God. The the role and the time um, from the establishment of the church on was to be the the new community, the new creation that took on the shape of Christ in the world. And so, in that sense, copying what the disciples did. What how do what do we see Jesus doing? Let's go yeah. do that. I but it was that. this bigger. It, it's bigger than just this one moment. It was we see Jesus taking on the shape of the cross. That's now yeah, our yeah. mission.
2: Right, right. Right. Yeah. And I. So you know, there's this. There's this saying that has been attributed to Saint Francis. I don't think anyone really knows that that he actually said it. But share the gospel, and if necessary, use words.
1: Use words. Well,
2: that, yeah. Yeah. But that's that's somewhat of a short-sighted thing to say uh, right. because. Because it's an embodied message, and and I think that that's that's the idea here is that the gospel is is, is a, you can't just share the gospel and have a distance from it like like hey I believe Jesus whatever died and so we're called to death. Um, because you're, you're, you're living, you're living that it's an embodied message. You proclaim and you demonstrate by the way you live your life. And I think, I think that's why these master plans of evangelism and, and, and I, man, I hope I'm not trying to put that book, you know, beat, beat down people who, who, who like that plans or something like that. I'm not even denigrating plans or strategies. Like I, right. you know, I'm, I'm in the ministry too. I think, I think it's great to have a, an idea of how you want to uh, get the gospel out, but but my my beef would be more with like what you're saying that we think if we just get out there, knock on doors, and invite people to church, we did the hard work of evangelism. We haven't done it until you've told the told the story and and lived it out and and invited people into that. And you'll do that once. Well, it once would be like inviting
1: that. people to a wedding that you haven't planned.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and the thing they is, show one-
1: up and there is no actual wedding because you put all your work into the invitations
2: and i think i think that's where we get we we hurt ourselves because like it's it it, it then is um if if you if you share that you're going to find out people who are receptive to it and if they're receptive to it they'll be receptive to you. <laughs> and if they're not, they're probably also not going to be receptive to you because you embody that message. Yeah. And so like, it, this is where evangelism is actually like we see here. A very, it's a sifting and a gathering mechanism in God's world. Like, uh, you know, and sometimes preaching, yeah. inviting people to church doesn't do that. You know, like you can invite someone to church and they can have no idea what it is you believe um, and so you're safe behind that. Invitation. Well, and
1: if they're not experiencing the new creation Christ-shaped, cross-shaped community when they come to church. Well, that's another um, layer. Right. Yes, that, yes, yes. Then what what are we doing? And that's where, again, and this is where, and I want to be clear, we're we're not against inviting people to church. We're not against converting oh, people, we're not oh, against no, evangelism. I, but When that becomes the center, it becomes like this circular thing where, oh, laying down my life means I evangelize. And so I evangelize. Is right. the point of it all, I got to make more disciples and how do I know that I'm laying down my life because I'm making disciples and that that becomes the center of it. And it's I not see. Right, rather right, than right. Being, being this cruciform community that we're inviting people into to partake of this new world, this new creation where... Yeah. Um, you know, all of the inequities and work of the powers have been dealt with. So we need both of these things, but you, you, uh, cruciformity is perfect for the center of the community and the identity, the center of gravity, because it is who Christ is. Conversionism is a very force, poor substitute. It's an important Element, but it cannot become the center of gravity.
2: And it's recent, like you've mentioned. It's a, it's a, and it's not a, an entirely American phenomenon, but it's mostly
1: mostly <laughs> an yes. American,
2: I, I, you know, mid twentieth century. Well, or, or, well, suppose, uh, or, I'd or, say second like, Great not,
1: Awakening. Yeah. Second well, okay. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Totally. But I mean, it. It. We. We're taking our cues, uh, even in churches like ours, from from moments uh not that long ago about yeah. about church
1: church growth
2: and it's with, it's distance with, us from some of this stuff.
1: With a great deal of sincerity and a good heart. That's I think sat, this is right, why I don't don't take question. our right. word for it. Let Mark challenge yeah. us. <laughs> that's that's what we want to do here. And I think as we come to the kingdom come, you know, Gian, I'll say I'll leave with these two questions and then let you have the last word here the The questions of application here is for me is what does this mean for the church how is we're seeing how Mark challenged the church of the later first century? How is this challenging our church? What do we need to wrestle with here? And and not you know if you run to your leaders and be like you're wrong because you had a student evangelism <laughs> campaign and da, 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 don't da, do that because I'm don't a leader. do that you've totally <laughs> missed the point of what we're saying here yeah like you are like in sin probably you know like yeah. don't don't handle this in a in a godly way like let's wrestle with this and the second question is beyond what does this mean for the church is what is my role. In this, how, you know, what can I do in, in a godly, graceful, patient way to listen to this message? And with that, Gianna, I give you the last word.
0: I have some great last words for you. I bet you do. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, for me, it's like you think about um, what came first, the chicken or the egg. This does not apply to that. It's not like, What comes first, conversionism or cruciformity? For me, it's a clear what should come first. Like, you know, with the chicken and the egg situation, it's like one or the other could have come first, depending on how you describe it. And I think for us, um, what does it mean for the church is that we've got to clearly see that living the life and the cruciformity, living the way of the cross is what comes first. Uh, because the desire is that we do have growth and more people do come into the knowledge of God.
1: Right, right. Of course.
0: inviting them to church and, you know, conversion can't be the first part of it. Um, and I just see this so, so often. And actually, like, you know, obviously I'm such a young Christian compared to you guys. And, you know, I'm on my way to my fifth year um, living my life for God. And so, no, you know, I, and so that's exciting for me, and I, I recognize, you know, there's a lot for me to learn, some wisdom I I haven't even come into. So looking forward to those revelations. But what I have learned as a young Christian coming into a, a church organization that I knew nothing about their way of life or uh, just their ethics and everything that goes with it, um, it was so odd for me because I, I knew that there was some type of standard to. Invite people to church and to get people baptized, and I was like, "Hmm, all right, this seems like a, a heavy burden on me for some reason." That like I wasn't getting when I studied, but I get it after that. I've now been baptized. I feel like I have to do this, and so I remember Reggie and I when we were just friends in in ministry together and in, in the church, not in ministry as working. Um, but we were like, he was very, you know, like. Um, dutiful and we've got to produce things. That that's just how he has been. And he was like, we got to go to the college and let's go share our faith. And I remember us doing that. And we were like, okay, it's two of us. We're doing this. And I just felt so awkward the entire time. One, because I was a new Christian who was trying to figure out how to live the life, just ushering myself into it. Um, and then you know we're sharing and afterwards, to be honest, and I'm not saying this is what everyone should do, but that was the last time I've ever shared like that. And I've then since said, you know what, I'm just going to try to live the way that I see. And hopefully that encourages people to ask me about it or to just be intrigued by it. And for me, that has really worked in the last five years. Every person that I've uh, ever studied with has just been curious about my choices and felt like it was different and so I, I oftentimes feel like uh, sad for for some of the people that have come to me within the church and are like, man, like I'm just doing a terrible job because I haven't studied with anyone in the last month. And in my mind, I'm like, I rate myself on, uh, am I in step with Jesus every day? Like that's kind of where I like balance myself out. Yeah. And, and as I do that, That's when I start seeing like the less that I'm in step with Jesus, the less people are uh, interested in knowing about him through my life and how I'm living. Um, And I'm not trying to be prideful or anything like that. I'm just saying someone coming into the church without the history of the church and living through everything our movement has gone through. you know, I was confused by the standards of what we do. So, or have done, you know, and I definitely see a lot of people changing and shifting, which is awesome. And that's why I think this is a good conversation about, uh, you know, what does this mean for our church? And are we really coming from a place of cruciformity? So it's a a great point that you brought up during this teaching. Um, and it's one to keep in mind and, uh, and I think sometimes the being, you know, living the way of the cross can seem like the death portion of it, like the scary portion of it. Like, so I have to live dying every day. What does that mean? You know, sometimes I feel like that can put people in a fearful place um, and not bring us back to where it should. But any other uh, thoughts, guys?
1: Well, we're gonna we're gonna um skip ahead, encourage readers to go through the John the Baptist section uh on their own in detail, following the the pattern of our hermeneutic of expectancy here. And then in our next episode, I think we're gonna pick up with the feeding of the five thousand.
0: Sounds good. Looking forward to it. This has been another great episode. If you guys want to tell us how great we've been or if you just want to leave any comments and send us a message, you can email us at uh, iconpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Um, and we're always looking for you guys to be part of our conversation. We look forward to talking with you guys next week.